This morning we're in Mark chapter 14. Jesus in, in this series called Encounters with Jesus. And this morning we see three people who have encounters with Jesus. Um, I'm doing sort of a character study this morning in Mark chapter 14 using uh, Mary, Judas, and Peter, three followers of Jesus, three people that, uh, that um, Jesus discipled. Now, as you get into Mark chapter 14, we've got this and two more chapters. So we see uh, the, 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 the intensity, the, the sickness of the tension growing and mounting here in Mark chapter 14 as Jesus' life here on earth is winding down. Um, you know, he, there's been this intense week of, first of all, of worship in Jerusalem where they were coming there for the Passover and, and everybody, so hundreds of thousands of people come to Jerusalem for Passover. And during this week, Jesus has not made many friends. You know, he's cleared the temple. You know, people have seen him. The, the Pharisees and Sadducees have seen him be worshipped. And, and so there's this intensity that everybody is feeling. And the, uh, the religious leaders aren't at all happy about this. And it says in Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and to kill him. But they said not during the feast or these people may riot. So while they were in Bethany reclining at the table, uh, while Jesus was in Bethany reclining at a table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume made of nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head, and, and some of those present were saying in, in, indignantly, to the, why, is, why is she wasting this perfume? It could have been used for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. So, so here in the opening verses of chapter 14, we see the religious leaders wanting to kill Jesus, and we see Mary coming to worship. And, and just imagine in your mind uh, this beautiful picture. So, so Mary comes into this room that's filled with men who are all reclining and who are having a meal together. And Mary walks into this room. She breaks this alabaster uh, bottle of perfume and she begins to pour them on Jesus' feet and on his head. And as, as, as Judas and the disciples are watching this, uh, watching this absolutely beautiful act of worship happen, they're really disgusted by it. They're angry at what Mary does, and they begin to criticize her. And Jesus, knowing the heart of Judas and knowing the heart of the disciples, turns to them. He says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done something beautiful to me. So, so here we see Mary giving her absolute best in worship. And her worship cost her something. You know, Mary came with this alabaster flask that, that they say was about a year's worth of, of, of salary. 
And, and some people would say that, that this alabaster flask that, that Mary had what, what was a family heirloom. And, and so, so Mary and this heirloom was sort of used as a, as a sort of a rainy day fund that, that if something happened to the family that, that they couldn't work, they could cash this in for, uh, so they could eat and so they could live. And so, so Mary takes this alabaster flask that was her security and she comes to Jesus and she, she gives us this extravagant display of worship. And so what Mary was telling Jesus in this moment was, look, this alabaster flask is the most important thing that I own, the most expensive thing that I own, but, but that is nothing compared to what you mean to me. I am giving you everything. I'm going to give you all of myself because she knew that Jesus was better. She gave her absolute best. And, and, and not only did she stop with, with giving her, him this expensive act of worship, but, but she bends down, she, she, she lets her hair down, which was, a, was, was not acceptable in this culture, she bent down and began to wipe the feet of Jesus, which was socially not proper. But at this moment in Mary's life, she didn't care. She didn't care what anybody else said. The one thing that mattered to her was there was Jesus. And this is the man that she wanted to worship. And she was going to give everything just to worship him. She wanted him to have her absolute best. And as I, as I pondered on this act of worship that, that we see Mary engaging in, I had to ask myself the question, Do I worship Jesus like that? Do I have this heart of worship? Do I ever reach this point when I feel like my heart is going to burst and I can't help but just give Jesus my best? You know, do I ever humble myself to the point where I'm going to worship and I don't care what anybody else thinks of my worship? think too often I, I look around and I wonder you know, if I would raise my hands and if I would heaven forbid kneel down or fall on my face before Jesus in worship what would people think and I had to wonder is my heart ever so full that the only person I want to please is Jesus himself and then I had to ask, how did Mary get to this point of this extravagant worship? How did she have this full view of Jesus? 
Because the only way that she could come to him and, and under these circumstances in Jerusalem on that evening with these men there and do that is because she had a proper view of who Jesus was. I think when you begin to study Mary's life, you, you understand how she had this proper view of Jesus. Because you find Mary on several different occasions sitting at the feet of Jesus worshiping him. You know, in Luke chapter 10, uh, in verse 39, there's this gathering at Mary and, and, her, and her sister Martha's house and their brother Lazarus, and, and it says in verse 39 that, that, um, that, that she said that she called Mary, who was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and this is Martha talking, and she says, Lord, don't you care that, that my sister is, is, has left me to do all the work? And so, so, so Martha was busy doing all the work and preparing the meal and doing all this stuff. And she was upset that, that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus just, just soaking in everything that he was saying. So she was worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And so, so Mary had this, this incredible view of Jesus because she, on a regular basis, sat at Jesus' feet. And, and, and as I read that, I thought, how often do I get busy doing stuff? Busy cleaning the house or mowing the yard or doing this or doing that, going to this event, going to that event, and I never take time to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so the reason that we don't have proper views of, of Jesus and, and this overflowing extravagant desire to worship is because we don't sit at the feet of Jesus. We, we don't take time to, to read his word and take time to, to pray and to just Sit in the presence of Jesus. And so I think this is a fair statement. That if we don't enjoy worship, that if we're bored with worship, and worship is more of something I have to get through on Sunday morning or during the week. I think it says more about our relationship with Jesus than it does anything else. And it says that, that I am not interested in Jesus. Is that fair? Because Mary worshipped, and her worship was extravagant, because of the time that she spent with Jesus. And, and so worship was just a natural part of who she was. And as we draw close to Jesus, as, as we sit at his feet, in his word and in prayer, and, and worship becomes a natural outflow of our appreciation for him. I want to be more like Mary. I want to sit at the feet of Jesus. 
And I want him to allow to, to change me and transform me so that there's this deep desire within me to continually worship. And Mary's response here so impacted Jesus. Her act of worship, when Jesus saw it, was so beautiful that he says this in verse 9. He says, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. Jesus said, look, look, Mary's act of worship was so incredible that throughout the generations, throughout history, people will talk about this moment in time, just like we're talking about now. And so we, and we go from this beautiful aroma of worship, because worship is a beautiful aroma to God. We go from that to, to, to this awful stench of rejection as we look at the life of Judas. Mark 14, as Jesus and his disciples were together preparing to do for the Passover meal, it says, while they were reclining, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. It says they were saddened, and one by one they said, surely not I, Lord. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me, and the Son of Man will go as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better if he had not been born. One of the other Gospels says that Jesus told Judas, go and do what you're going to do. Go and betray me. And so, so here we have this picture and this is something, as I, was, as I was thinking about Judas, you know, Judas was a follower of Jesus. Judas was a preacher of the gospel. But in the end, Judas abandoned his faith. And I think it's because Judas fell in love with the world. In, in 1 John chapter 2, it says, we're not to love the world or anything in the world or anything that the world has to offer. Said, John says, for when you love the world, you don't, have a love of the, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world and its offerings only the cravings of physical pleasure, the cravings of everything we see, and the pride of our achievements and the possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. In the end, Judas really traded everything in that he had with Jesus for the world, for his worldly uh, treasures. But Judas had made a commitment to Jesus. I mean, there's no reason not to think that Judas hadn't made a commitment to Christ. Like the rest of the disciples, Judas left everything he knew to follow Jesus. Judas 
like the rest of the 12, preached the gospel. I mean, Judas was given the gift of healing. He exercised authority over demons. He was actively involved in ministry and and doing good and wonderful things. It says in Luke, Jesus sent out the twelve. Judas was one of the twelve. And and it says that he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So Judas preached. He was one of the twelve. Judas walked with Jesus for three years. Think about this. Judas saw Jesus. He helped to serve the bread that fed the 5,000. He was one of them. He was on the boat that, that was sinking when Jesus calmed the storm. He watched Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He heard Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. He heard Jesus warning the Pharisees about their hypocrisy. So so he had a front row seat to the greatest teaching and the greatest teacher of all time, Jesus Christ. And yet he still betrayed Jesus. I think as you study this, Satan made this relentless assault on Judas's soul. Just as he makes a relentless assault on everyone who chooses to follow Christ. And we read about Satan's attack on Judas in Luke 22, uh, verses 3 and 4, where it says that, that Satan entered... Judas Iscariot. And now when we read that, we, we, we look at it and we say, well, Judas had no choice in the matter. I mean, what could he do about it? But, but when we use that approach, we overlook the fact that Judas had opened the door for Satan to walk into his life. You see, Judas stole money from the collection bag of the disciples. Judas kept sin a secret. You know, he made a deal with the chief priests to betray Jesus, then sat down at the Lord's table. You see, unconfessed sin always opens the door for Satan's power in our lives. You see, Satan doesn't gain a foothold in the lives of people who are following Christ. When we're sitting at the feet of Jesus and we are, we are reading the word and we're praying and, and we're seeking, we're truly seeking relationship with Jesus. When we are in the light, darkness cannot enter. So the reason, the reason that 
Judas was willing to betray Jesus was not because he was the ordained one and had no choice in the matter. Judas allowed Satan to enter him because of unconfessed sin in his life. He ultimately sold his soul for money and a chance at fame and power. We're a lot like Judas. If we're not careful, we allow the love of money, the pursuit of riches, the desire for power and fame, and we sell our souls those things that the world has to offer. Yeah, we, we can be a lot like Judas. And Judas, as he processed this, as he, Judas's guilt eventually got the best of him. It says in Matthew that when Judas who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had, had been condemned to die. He was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the, the priests and the elders. He said, I've sinned, for I have betrayed an innocent man. They're like, what do we care? That's your problem. It says, then Judas threw the silver coins together down on the temple floor and went out and hanged himself. See, unconfessed sin will eventually ruin us. Judas sacrificed everything for his own gain, and it cost him his soul. So here we have these two completely different, we have Mary who worshipped and, and, and who Jesus said the world will always remember her. And we have Judas who worshipped the world and the world always remembers him as Judas the betrayer. And then we've got Peter. And Peter was always the bold one in the crowd. You know, Peter, when Jesus uh, told the disciples that one of you is going to betray me that, and that eventually all of, you are going to, um, all of you are going to deny me, Peter's like, not me. I will never do that. I will die before I deny you. And just a few hours later, we read this. And so, so as Jesus and his disciples had had celebrated the Passover meal and, and the Lord's, he had instituted the Lord's Supper. They went to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and, and Jesus prayed and the disciples slept. Judas comes and, and brings his crowd of, of soldiers and they arrest Jesus. And as Peter watches this, and, and at, by this time all of the disciples have done exactly what Jesus said they would do. They scattered 
Jesus follows into the, the courtyard where, where these trials are happening. He's watching Jesus be beaten and abused. And this is the man that he loved. This is the man that, that he had spent three years of his life with and absolutely adored. And now he was watching him being beaten and being, being spit on. And, and he just didn't know what to do with and it says that while Peter was below in the courtyard one of the servant girls of the high priest came by and when she saw Peter warming himself she looked at me closely and said you were with that Nazarene Jesus and he said and then the servant then he said I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And he went out into the entryway. Then it says, when the servant girl saw him there, she said again, this fellow is one of them. And again, he denied. And after a little while, those standing near Peter said, surely you're one of them. You're a Galilean. And it says he, Peter, the man who just a few hours earlier said, I will never deny you. I will go to my death before I deny you. Now says, I don't know what you're talking about. He says he swore, I don't know what you're talking about. And it says immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter, right in that moment, understood and remembered the words that Jesus had spoken not too long before. Yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you will yourself disown me three times. And as Jesus is being escorted out of, out of this, 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 um, this courtyard, there's this this, there's this really intimate moment in Luke chapter 22 as Jesus is being escorted out. It says in Luke 22, 61 that, that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. This was after the rooster had crowed and Peter had denied him three times. It says the Lord turned and looked at Peter. It says, and then Peter remembered the words that the Lord had spoken before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And it says, and Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Here, Peter, the one who Jesus had earlier said, Peter, you are the rock. Upon you, I'm going to build my church. Peter, the rock, who had crumbled. He had denied Jesus. He had, he had denied ever knowing him and now Peter is remorseful and, and just probably can't understand how he could ever do that. How could he disown Jesus? How could he deny the Savior? And, and we read this story and we think, how could he do it? How could Peter ever do that? And yet, we're like Peter. We're a lot like Peter. Peter denied because he was weak. And because he was scared. You know, a little bit before this, Jesus had taken Peter, and the, Peter James, and John to the Garden of Gethsemane to wait on his arrest. And, and he told them, remember he told them, stay awake and pray. And 
he came back on three different occasions and found them sleeping. And Jesus warned Peter, he said, look, stay awake and pray. Although your spirit is willing, he says your flesh is weak. Basically, Jesus is saying, look, Peter, you're not as strong as you think you are. You must pray. And that like Peter, we're like him. We, we get weary and tired and we don't pray. I think Peter, years later, as he was writing the book of 1 Peter, I wonder if he remembered this as he's in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Stay alert. Stay alert, he said. Watch out for your enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I wonder if Peter thought back to that moment when, and when in this one moment of weakness where Satan got the best of him. Peter found out pretty quickly that he wasn't as bold as he thought he was. But again, before, before I criticize Peter, I have to think of my own life. How many times in my life do I deny Christ? You know, when, when I go weeks and weeks without praying, or even days without praying and, and reading the Word, I'm denying Christ. I'm saying, look, Jesus, I got this. I don't need you so, so that I don't have to pray. I don't have to read. When, when we... When we, have, when we are in environments, when we are with friends and, and we, we're embarrassed to admit that we're Christians, we're denying Jesus. So, so we're, we're too much like Peter. I'm too much like Peter because I at times deny him. I deny that, 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 he, is, that, that he is all that I need. And he is my strength, and he is my savior. And I, like Peter, when I recognize those times of denial, I should fall on my face before him and repent and ask forgiveness. But do I ever weep bitterly because of my denial? Do I, does it ever even bother you that you've denied Jesus? And that's why I say we're a lot like these characters that we look at this morning. There's times that we're like Mary. When, when we are in the Word and, and we are praying and 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 our hearts are full of Jesus and we worship but there are also times when we're like Judas or we allow the things of the world the the, the pleasures of the world the the, the 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 cravings of the world money and fame and power they become the most important thing 
about us, if growing your business is more important to you than Jesus is, then, then you're in the same boat as Judas. And if you're not careful, you've opened the door to Satan and he will come in and he will take control. want to be I want to be like Mary but too often I'm like Judas and I'm like Peter my encouragement to you today is look be like Mary but when you have those moments of those Judas moments or those Peter moments be like Peter you see Peter wept and eventually found forgiveness because he repented of his sin. Judas tried to fix it on his own. I believe if Judas would have went to Jesus and fell on his face before Jesus, Jesus would have forgiven him. But he chose not to. And in the end, it cost him everything. And so just allow, uh, when you mess up, run to Jesus Run to the cross. Ask him for forgiveness because he will forgive you. He will love you. He will do what he did with Peter and embrace him and invite him back. So as you think about this Mark chapter 14, just ask yourself, who am I most like right now? And what do I need to do to, be, to, to continue to be like Mary? Or what do I need to do to not be a Judas or not be a Peter and run to Jesus um, and worship him extravagantly? Give him adoration and praise that he deserves. Because that's what he's looking for from us, is adoration and praise. But that only comes out of sitting at his feet and worshiping him day after day after day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the incredible example that we have in, in Mary and, and just seeing her sitting at your feet worshiping, but then also um, giving extravagant, humble uh, worship out of the overflow of her heart. May that be us and who we are this week. Father, when we find ourselves in those moments of, of, of running after the world, of making money and status more important than you. Father, would you, through your Holy Spirit, convict us so that we run back to you and experience the incredible forgiveness and extravagant love that you offer.